Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. My name is Hakun Wong and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me as always is Senior Staff Writer and Co-Host Ryan Whitfield. So before we get started today, I wanted to actually tee up something that's coming up next week. So next week we have some guests. Uh, we have some guests, special guests on our show. Uh, we'll be answering all your fantasy football questions. This is your opportunity to go ahead and uh, text us, email us, DM us, tweet us, do whatever you need to do to get your questions to us, and we will be putting them in front of uh, Chris Hopper of the Beer Fueled Fantasy Football Podcast and Matt Jakes of the Top to Pod Podcast, and they'll be answering your fantasy football questions next week. And so, don't be shy. Go ahead and tweet out to us, and we'll be happy to select those and answer your questions next week. All right, let's get started with this week, though. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Bakun, happy 101st episode of Make Our School March 5200. <laughs> that's right, 100, that's right. 101st episode. Happy 101st episode to you as well. That's, that is something. Every time I think about that, like, how many hours have we wasted online? It's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, that's a lot of football if you think about it. Well, so, Ryan, you, being our president's cast fan, i got to ask you this question because there's this whole, like, Brady-Gronk thing going on. And for those of you who don't know, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, they weren't at the New England Patriots OTAs this week, but according to the Boston Herald, they were together at Brady's TB12 clinic receiving treatment. And Ryan and I have discussed many times, if you've been listening to us, uh, the TB12 clinic, and, of course, Alex Guerrero, Brady's personal trainer slash health guru, and, uh, <laughs> and what we think of him. Now, the, obviously, the TB12 clinic has been a source of tension between Brady, Gronk, and Bill Belichick, and they, uh, and it's been increasingly uh, more te- uh, more uh, tense between them as Gronk has been buying in more and more to uh, Brady's uh, TB12 format. So, what are your thoughts on the matter? Because we've already discussed this a couple times about you know using the Patriots trainers, using the personal trainers, all that stuff. But what about this situation specifically? Uh, what do you what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, for, for all of my uh, sensitive Patriot fans out there, go ahead and put the earmuffs on because you're not going to like this. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's obviously not a good situation. You know, uh, a spoiled fan base, we are in New England, uh, but, you know, most of the people can't call it like, uh, like it is. And the fact of the matter is you can't say for years that what separates Brady from the rest of the guys is that work ethic and that warrior mentality and how he does all the extra little things, fights for every rep in practice. And then when he makes those TAs, including we're in the you know phase three now where they're installing the offensive playbook. They are this right. is a passing camp now, and Brady's not out there. Now does Brady himself and so when that happens you can't say, Oh well it doesn't matter. Well you can't give him credit when he does it and then say nothing about it if he doesn't do it. Um right. just not being consistent. So, you know, overall, does Tom Brady need it? No. Could Jordan Matthews use the reps of Brady, who's you know particularly hard on receivers and wants guys in a certain area? Yes. Right. Could uh, Barry, what's the the rookie out of Miami, use the reps with Tom Brady? Yep. Could your first round pick Sony Michelle, uh, who's who figures to be you know in that Dion Lewis role and sure. catch passes out of the backfield, take this with with Brady? Yeah. So it does hurt. And you know, 
Karen Garigian is the Boston Herald reporter who had that report that you just cited. And, mm-hmm. you know, she, she's well-connected, has a lot of great sources. You know, take it for what it is, Scott Zolak, who's pretty tied in with the Patriots, obviously, too, the, the color commentator on the radio and former Patriot quarterback, uh, came out and tweeted that, that actually it's not true that Brady hasn't been going to TB12, although he didn't mention uh, in the tweet that I'm referencing, he didn't say anything about Gronk not, not actually going to see Guerrero. Interesting. It is still possible yeah. to do that. Um, Gronk's situation is different. May 24th is the date to watch out with Gronk because uh, by the league rules, you can't redo a contract twice in a calendar year that, that's mm-hmm. incentive-based. And May 24th was when that contract was redone last year. So uh, the speculation seems to be that they'll redo it on the 24th, another incentive-laden contract for him to make him more happy, give him more money, more money potentially to earn. And that's when they expect to see him back. And Brady, by all accounts, should be back the first week of June when the mandatory uh, camp starts. But when mandatory camp starts, if Brady's not back by then, uh, yes, obviously freak out time. But either way, you know, if that Garigian report is correct, the fact that, for those of you who don't know outside of Foxborough, I mean, TB12 Clinic is at Patriot Place. So if Brady and Gronk are literally driving to one Patriot Place down there in Foxborough, (laughs) parking the car, waving at Julian Edelman and and Jordan Matthews and Belichick as they walk into the stadium, as they walk in to go get their – you know, go get their treatment from, from Alex Guerrero. It's obviously concerning, and it just shows that the, the problems that first came out from Seth Wickersham from last year, uh, yeah. those were validated. Those haven't gone away, and it's just it's just strange times down here in, or, or up here in New England. Yeah, I totally, uh, totally agree. <laughs> it's always good to get your take on this because I'm uh, everybody else in the country is biased against the Patriots, so it's obviously you know how everyone's going to react, but it is uh, a little bit of an issue, and we'll see how it all sorts out. I mean, like you said, keep an eye on May 24th and see what happens. Now, there's something else I wanted to bring to your attention and get your response from. That's right, Johnny Manziel is back. That's right, ex-Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel has signed a two-year contract with the <laughs> it just I, I shouldn't laugh, but Canadian Football League's Hamilton Tiger Cats. Okay, so yeah, he's back, but um, um, and he's he's in North America, but he's um not in the NFL. So we've talked about this previously. Uh, he's performed a number of times from the scouts this uh in this March. He also participated in the spring league this last month. Uh, everyone knows he was a former first round pick. Um, he basically threw 1,675 yards, seven touchdowns, and seven interceptions in two seasons for Cleveland before completely uh, just self-destructing under off-field distractions and substance abuse. Um, and of course, he had uh, he he indicates that he has some mental uh, health issues as well. So I don't want to make light of any of that. But what are your thoughts? Do you care about Johnny Manziel going back to the CFL Hamilton Tiger Cats? And do you think he has a route back to the NFL? God has this guy made me take the the full gamut in in, in my opinions on him throughout his yep. career. When he first came out, I was not a Johnny Menzel guy. I thought neither was I. And it's been so long; it's it's hard to recall the incidences. But you know, there was multiple times. <clears throat> I think there was the game where he was suspended for a half, and then he came out and he scores a touchdown and he does an over celebration. This is back in A and M, and he draws like a 15 yep. yard penalty, and it's like you just got benched for your attitude. For, for right. a half. Then you come out in the second half, score a touchdown, get your team back in it, and then you do something, you know, uh, demon- or monumentally stupid. So right. I look at plays like that, and then I like a good comeback story. So I actually was rooting for Manziel probably about two or three months ago, and because there was a lot of rumors flying around here about him potentially coming back to Boston or to the Patriots, or yep. coming to Boston, not back to, but coming to the Patriots, you know, somebody re-dug up, because we all remember all the drug addict stuff because they got so – um, scary there over the last couple of years, just how far he went down. Well, somebody right. re-dug up the because it's hard. It's amazing you would lose track of something like this, but re-dug up the the domestic dispute 
uh, incident that he was involved in. And if you go yes, back and read the details, that was on crazy. It, yeah, you go back and read the details of, of what he did and his role in that. Uh, you know, I'm out. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm back to not. You know, again, I for, for a while I, I forgot. I forgot about the domestic dispute, and I was like, oh, you know, he's got problems with addiction, mental health. Like, give the guy a shot. Maybe it can be a good comeback story. Reread that stuff and said, nope, I'm out. I'm good. And then, and then of course, you know, during his comeback tour, I think it was. Uh, God, why am I, I'm going to forget the ESPN guy's name that does all those Adam Sandler movies now. Uh, Dan Patrick. Uh, he right. was on with Dan Patrick, and he basically said it wasn't Cleveland's fault, but it was Cleveland's fault at the same time, and shows me that he's still not taking full accountability for all of his issues. And, and, and so I just – I see a guy who's doing a PR tour trying to resurrect his image, but deep down at his core is still a really troubled human being. And so, I'll, you know, it's just hard to root for a guy like that. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. But if you know, and you take all the personal stuff out of it, and I never thought he was a good quarterback for the NFL system. I, I just never felt that way. You know, if you take all the off, off the field issue, personality issues, all that stuff, even if you take it out of the equation, I didn't think that he his play style would fit in the NFL. You cannot get away with a backyard football that he likes to play with the type of defenses that you will face in the NFL. And I think that was pretty clear from the time he had in the field. But actually. I think he will do well in the CFL. I mean, they are generally the CFL plays faster, more like a uh, open West Coast type offense. Uh, you have the the, the uh, receivers who can start running, so basically they have what they call the waggle. They can get out there, and I think we discussed this before. My thoughts that Johnny Manziel can actually be a CFL star. I mean, I, I don't I don't see why he couldn't do that. I don't think there's a route back for him in the NFL. I just don't see why anybody in the NFL would want to take a chance at him. He doesn't have the skill set for the NFL, and honestly, I, I can't forgive the domestic uh, dispute issues that he was um, involved in at the time as well. So that's, that's that. But we've already spent too much time talking about Johnny football. We have so much other stuff that we want to talk about. And we're going to be talking about, uh, about rookie receivers today. And we got so many of them to talk about. So let's go ahead and get that started. All right, Ryan, let's start with Michael Gallup from Colorado State. Now, he was drafted in the third round by the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, the Dallas Cowboys have a number of issues in their receiving court. Des Bryant was released earlier this season. Jason Witten was retired. He's going to be doing Monday Night Football. And then Terrence Williams may be suspended. So this over this last weekend, Williams was charged with public intoxication and leaving the scene of the accident, both which are misdemeanors. Now, the Cowboys receiver said he hopped the curb to avoid a collision after the car in front of him slammed on his brakes. And after exchanging insurance information with the other driver, Williams said he dropped off. Uh, he was dropped off at home by a neighbor and immediately called a tow truck to collect his vehicle and was on his way back to the tow truck when the police stopped him on his scooter. Now, according to Williams, no sobriety tests were administered. And his agent said that once the facts come out, um, they're confident that uh, Terrence will be vindicated but I don't know. Anybody who wraps a Lamborghini around a lamppost, <laughs> I assume that there is something else going on there. So right now, all they got really is Alan Hearns, maybe Cole Beasley, and others. Michael Gallup is an interesting uh, prospect coming into the system, and they may just need any all the help they can get. He's had two seasons of over 1,200 receiving yards at Colorado State. He had 14 touchdowns in 2016 and seven in 2017. Uh, and he's been relatively solid. So what are your thoughts about Mike Gallup in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, Michael Gallup better be good, right? Because they don't have anybody else, as you just uh, described. And, <laughs> right. Well, um, part of the problem, yeah. And, just to, and to touch on Terrence Williams quickly, you know, I hate when I'm when I'm so blacked out that I can't find my cell phone and i got to get all the way home <laughs> so I can use the landline to call the tow truck. So yeah, I feel for you, Dan. 
<laughs> right. And I and then your Lamborghini smashed up. That sucks, you know. Nobody likes that. <laughs> Nineteen seventy guy had to go home to get the tow truck out there. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> uh no, Dallas, you know, I think he's gonna get targets. Um yeah, I think for a long time that they've really hoped Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley's one of those guys that uh you know, almost Eric Ebron syndrome where every year we're always like, you know, this is the year he really breaks out, this is the year he doesn't. And he just hasn't because he just don't think he's good enough. So, you know, Cole Beasley I'm not a big fan of. Alan Hearns, I think, could be useful, although Alan Hearns has always kind of struck me as a guy who's a really good fantasy football receiver and not a good regular season, a good real receiver, because he's he's good in scramble breakdown plays when you're, you know, when you're down 25 points like Jacksonville used to be uh, routinely, and that they would just chuck the ball up, and he was playing against, you know, three-man or cover three deep, you know, deep sets where he could just work the underneath and, you know, get chunk 15 to 20-yard gains as they were in garbage time, so... Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it's hard. To, it's hard to tell because, you know, we look at what what the Cowboys were able to do with, with Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott two years ago, and I would say that to this point, we still haven't really seen Dak Prescott be, you know, have a guy that he's super effective with in the passing game. So I like Gallup as a as a player individually, and mm-hmm. I think he individually could be a good fit for for an NFL offense. I'm just really wondering if last year was just a sophomore slump because, you know, the first year you look at Dak and you say, okay, he's a little limited, but he's going to progress. And they had the predictable sophomore slump. And, and not to always bring it back to the Patriots, but you look at the Patriots, you know, Brady was an average quarterback, goes and wins the Super Bowl in 01. 02, they went 9-7. and seven. It was probably Brady's worst, worst professional year because there is that regression in year two. And then he goes and yep. wins back-to-back Super Bowls where he actually then started to turn that corner and become a good quarterback. So maybe we see a jump like that for Dak this year. But, you know, my, my feelings on Dak are, are well-known that I don't think he can, he can really push the game vertically. He's more of a horizontal guy. And – and until so you see it in the NFL, you know, how Gallup's going to play over the middle against, you know, big, big NFL talent on the defensive side, you know, guys who are going to take your head off when you catch the ball. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. So I guess overall on him, uh, if I could sit on the fence anymore, I'd say, uh, can we wait and see? Because <laughs> projecting, it seems, projecting it seems really difficult because I just don't know what to expect out of Dak or that Dallas offense in general right now. Right. And I, I think the opportunity is there, but it's yet to see whether he can grasp and take advantage of that opportunity or not. So that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on. All right, so let's go ahead and bring the bell on him. Let's go to our next guy. Let's go to DJ Shark, actually, coming to join the team that Alan Hearns actually left. That's the Jacksonville Jaguars. They uh, drafted him out of LSU in the second round. Now, he is entering a little bit of a crowded wide receiver core there of Dante Moncrief, uh, who's actually just been recently listed as a starter, which uh, who knows what that really means. But Marquise Lee also there, Keelan Cole over there and Didi Westbrook also showed flashes last year. Now in LSU, he actually was not one of their primary receiving threats. Uh, his best year was in 2017, 874 receiving yards, only three touchdowns, but he actually was very useful in the rushing game. I mean, he actually did rush at, he actually averaged about 10.6 yards per carry when he was in uh, LSU. And he actually was used in special teams as a uh, punt and kick returner as well. So he has a lot of speed and he has a lot of versatility uh, but the question is, will he impact the wide receiving core in Jacksonville, or is he going to be just a special teamer there? What are your thoughts about DJ Shark? Yeah, so, I mean, looking at it, it's an interesting time in the NFL because I feel like there's more good receivers than there have ever been, but it feels like they're all grouped on, you know, a handful of teams. That there's right. more teams that are three receivers deep, and then there's more teams that are just desperate for wide receiver talent. I 
just a quick sidebar. I was on Instagram earlier today, and I saw the yep. Indianapolis Colts to, uh, post out a picture of a guy number 80 standing with T.Y. Hilton and says, who can't wait to see this duo on, on Sundays? And I look at the guy, his <laughs> name's Chester Rogers. And I yes, said, Chester I Rogers. Yep. Did, I, yep. did, I, did I miss the Colts draft a guy named Chester Rogers this year? So I go and look at it, and I the guy's been in the league for two years. And he's yep. what, the number two guy in Indianapolis? Like, that's Indeed. how bad he's receiving receiving is across the NFL. I had no idea who Chester Rogers is. For 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 everyone's information, the guy's got like 500 yards and 60 receptions and a touchdown over two years. So it's not that I'm not that, <laughs> that I'm that stupid. It's just that, that that he sucks that bad. But anyways, I digress. Into the Jacksonville. Uh, I'll try to put my Alan Lazard bias aside, who I expect to emerge as uh, as, <laughs> right. this, as the next coming of Jerry Rice. But outside of that, um, you know, I think I think it's similar to, to Dallas that there's you know. <laughs> For whatever reason, a team that, that should be really, really scary because how good that defense is and, and their offensive line play and their running back. Um, yep. You know, the Jacksonville at quarterback and wide receiver severely lacking. You know, I, oh, yeah. I kind of look at all the guys. Marquise Lee, I think he's got probably the most talent of the bunch, but he's not a great receiver yet. Right. D.D. Westbrook, telling about the rest of the core there. Right. D.D. Westbrook flashed. Keelan Coles flashed. Um, Alan Lazard, like I just mentioned, and now him here. You know, we're looking at a group of guys that, you know, there's not really one guy that you say is going to take the blunt of that work. And the fact of the matter is with Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson gone, which I know uh, Robinson was gone most of last year, but the mm-hmm. Sharks could take over that role because somebody has to, right? And he comes yep. out of a good SEC program, um, albeit not the best passing offense in the league, but we've seen some of the, the, the LSU guys, you know, Landry and uh, – Odell Beckham here really pop off over the last couple of years. Sure. So it seems like yeah. they're, they're kind of turned into a little bit of a wide receiver factory down in the bayou there. So, you know, again, this is another one. The, I, I promise you I'm bringing some strong opinions in the back end here of the review. Okay, well, hold you to that. But, the, yeah. <laughs> but, in this, but in the front the front two here, it's going to be the same thing again. It's just hard to project. I mean, there's a lot of mouths to feed there. And, and you know, really it looks like Jacksonville's taking the approach of uh, let's take our crappy quarterback and a handful of crappy-ish receivers and see what sticks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they're going to lean a heck of a lot on Leonard Fournette in that defense, and that's going to be their method to get deep into the uh, into the playoffs, and we'll see if that works or not. And could, it could, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that they just didn't look to upgrade in their wide receiver area, and they, they seem to have they had, uh, they had some confidence in Lee, Cole, and Westbrook. So, you know, if Dante Wancrief is your best offseason acquisition at the, at, at the wide receiver, you are in trouble. But anyway, that's enough about DJ Shark. I think we we hit that one enough. Let's go on to the next one here. Let's talk about Traquan Smith, who was drafted by the New Orleans Saints in the third round out of Central Florida, UCF. Now, they he is also entering an interesting wide receiving core. Obviously, Michael Thomas is number one there, but you know, there's no Willie Sneed. Uh, what's left is Ted Ginn, uh, Cameron Meredith, who they picked up from the Bears, and a bunch of people that I am not really familiar with. So there's a lot of open questions there, and they obviously have a great quarterback there in Drew Brees. So you know, who knows what's going to happen? And Traquan Smith did have a very impressive 2017, 1,171 yards, 19.8 yards uh, per catch. He had 13 touchdowns. He also had 23 rushing yards and another rushing touchdown. I mean, he is electric. He's basically electric. Now, the the question is that will that translate into the NFL, and will it be something that he can use with uh, Drew Brees? What are your thoughts on Traquan Smith? Yeah, Traquan Smith's a – is a good acquisition and he's, he's going to an ideal landing position with a high powered offense in a dome. Um, and, you know, one of the most undertold stories that, you know, there uh, is in that division is the fact that you get to play, you know, 
a game, one game a year on the road in Carolina, one game of the year down in Southern Florida, or not Southern Florida, but down South in Florida, in Tampa, right. and then you get nine dome games because you get the game in Atlanta and eight games in, uh, in in New Orleans. So that's why those offenses are always pretty high powered in New Orleans because mm-hmm. they have a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of ideal weather conditions for what they're going to be playing in. You know, I think yep. Ted Ginn, and this is why Traquan uh, Smith here is somebody that I'm more hesitant on, is just because the fit there. You know, Cameron Meredith has has shown he can do it in the NFL. I know that, you know, there might be some of that garbage time syndrome with him too and the fact that he's coming off a big injury. But right. Ted Ginn is so disrespected. I mean, and I, and I and I didn't like Ted Ginn for the first half of his career either. But in 2015, you know, he was the the number one, you know, receiving target when when, uh, when Kelvin Benjamin went down, that Carolina team went to the Super Bowl. And then last mm-hmm. year, you know, he had, a, I think it was a 1,000-yard season last year in New Orleans. So he fit right into that offense, and he basically was a huge reason why Willie Sneed became expendable. And so, you know, I, I get it because I think we're all so convinced of how, how bad Ginn was with all the drop problems in his first couple of years. But he's really developed into a good player in the second half of his career here. So I just think it's going to take a lot to sur- surpass him. And so at best, you know, especially if you're looking at a fantasy, you know, point of view here, you know, he can't. I mean, even in Dynasty League, you got to take him real low because of the fact that, you know, by the time he might develop and push out some of the older guys, you know, meaning, uh, I guess mainly Ginn because, yeah, Meredith and uh, and Thomas are both pretty young, obviously. But but by the time he even moves up into a number three and potentially number two role, you know, Drew Brees might be gone by then. So, you know, uh, Traquan Smith, I just think that that's a a really – that's going to be a tough one to come into. And then you got to factor in, again, just how – how used Alvin Kamara is in the past. Yeah, that's there. how so I was going to raise. Yep, I totally agree with that. I think Alvin Kamara is going to end up sucking a lot of a lot more touches this year because they know what they got now, and they'll plan to use him in many a lot of creative ways, including out of the backfield um, in the passing situations as well. So I'm not sure how many more looks there will be there for him. Uh, for uh, Traquan Smith, if he actually gets into the lineup. All right, let's go ahead and ring the bell on him, and let's move on to the next one. Perhaps uh, one of the more well-known names in the draft, it's Calvin Ridley, who was drafted in the first round, 26 overall by the Atlanta Falcons, out of Alabama. So big-time SEC experience there. He actually had his best year in 2015, 1,045 yards, seven touchdowns but uh, didn't fare as well in his next two seasons. Now, not, not much worse, 769 in, two, in 2016, uh, 967 yards in 2017, only five receiving touchdowns. Now, arguably, Alabama is not a passing type of team. That's not the way their offense is built. So that is uh, obviously one thing to keep in mind. But Calvin really going to Atlanta – you know, Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu is there, but Taylor Gabriel is gone. It's unclear who the third person will be. It's unclear which uh, whether uh, Austin Hooper will be a receiving option or not uh, the tight end slot. What are your thoughts about Calvin Ridley fitting in in Atlanta? So I like it, and I don't like it. So I guess I'm still sitting on fences here. But <laughs> okay. basically, Calvin, uh, Calvin Ridley, you know my feelings on him, not from a talent perspective, but I just think he's soft. I think he's a finesse guy a speed burner and just not the kind of receiver that I would build my offense around. Now, mm-hmm. same scenario as, as new Orleans. He's going to play nine dome games. And as a speed guy, that's going to bode well for him. He's got a quarterback mm-hmm. with a big arm. who can hit the deep ball and that's going to help him. The coverage is going to mm-hmm. be shifted on to Julio Jones. So that's going to benefit him. The Sarkeesian uh, effect or, you know, point of this story is, is something to really watch and be cognizant of just because of the fact that 
that offense took such a regression, and I just I'm not a big Sarkeesian guy, so I have a lot of questions around that, and I'm interested to see what the Falcons' offense looks like this year. But you bring up Mohamed Sanu, and I hear his name come up a lot. I just I want to go on the record and make my point, I guess, on this clear for everybody. Mohamed Sanu sucks. I, I don't know if oh, man. knows that. Asian twelve man. That's terrible. Easy. Okay, all right. All right. And and he's a moron. I, 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 this is another side story. I got a lot of side stories today. But I was watching the the minute and a half clip because Edel, it was Edelman's birthday and he was back on the practice field at the torn ACL yep. last year. And so they mm-hmm. were re-showing the that his miraculous catch in the Super Bowl two years ago. And uh, in the in the sound effects episode, they have Muhammad Sanu on the bench going, "Nah, that hit the ground. That hit the ground." And then they cut back to him like 20 seconds later after the call. He goes, "Man, I told you you caught that crap." No, you didn't. You idiot. <laughs> he's, so, he's so monumentally stupid. He was chirping Logan Ryan the whole game. He runs his mouth yep. more. He runs his mouth like he's Randy Moss, but he has no talent. So that's a long way of saying that if Calvin Ridley doesn't take over the number two role, that says more about the fact that they wasted a high-end pick on Calvin Ridley and about Calvin Ridley as a, as a talent than it does about Mohamed Sanu. Because Mohamed Sanu right. sucks, and if, and if Ridley's uh, 50% of what you people are telling me he is, then he better surpass, uh, surpass Mohamed Sanu. Yeah, so I, I would say that there is a, a comfort level, I think, of Matt Ryan and Mohamed Sanu, so probably probably won't surpass him right away is my take, but I think he has the skill set to do it, and I agree. Uh, Mohamed Sanu is nothing special, and uh, if he can't surpass Mohamed Sanu, it, it's like the question of, well, heck, if you can't get ahead, if A.J. McCarron can't get ahead of Andy Dalton, then how good can he possibly be? So there you go. All right, let's ring the bell on him. Two more left to cover, and we only got about four and a half minutes. Let's go ahead and hit these real quick. Antonio Callaway... Uh, drafted by the Browns in the fourth round out of Florida. Now, the Browns have a very interesting in, uh, situation. they got Josh Gordon. They managed to pick up Jarvis Landry in the offseason. But Corey Coleman, apparently, one of their previous first-round picks, is now on the block, on the trading block, so he might be traded. So what are your thoughts about Antonio Callaway, who has had some, you know, interesting seasons, but nothing that's been really standout-ish there. Uh, I mean, he, he essentially had a 600-yard and a 700-yard season uh, when he was in Florida. But again, Florida, not a big passing offense. So what are your thoughts about Antonio Callaway uh, in, uh, in, in Cleveland. I just don't think he's going to get enough of an opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, in Cleveland because, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, there's a lot of mouse to feed out there in, in Cleveland now, and Jarvis Landry <laughs> is a 100-pass is a kind of guy. He is a, a move-the-chains type receiver who doesn't have a long downfield, you know, average yards per catch, but he's going he's gonna to he's gonna rack up his catches. There's a lot of targets that are going to go his way. Josh Gordon is when he's right and looked like he was going to be that he was back on track to be right at the end of last year is a guy who you have to feed the ball because he's one of the most explosive players in football. You have Njoku mm-hmm. at tight end, and then you yeah. have Duke Johnson who catches the ball to the backfield. I just, yep. I think that, you know, I just wouldn't, I don't have high expectations for Callaway just because there's just, there's just too much on going on around him. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, all, and you know, I, who knows how Nick Chubb's going to work into the equation as well. And Carlos Hyde's there. I mean, there's so many offensive weapons there. You know, I don't know if there's room for a uh, rookie. But if Coleman gets traded, there may be an opportunity. So keep that in mind, everybody. Let's ring the bell. Let's get to our last guy. That is Anthony Miller, who was drafted in the second round by the Chicago Bears. They actually traded away their 2019 second-round pick and pick 105 from this year's uh, fourth round to your New England Patriots to move up and draft Miller, who uh, does carry a little bit of, of risk because uh, he did miss some offseason due to a fracture in his right foot. So who knows what's going to happen with him? But he has obviously shown that he has a lot of potential from his time in Memphis. Two seasons of 1,400 yards plus 18 touchdowns in 2017, 14 touchdowns in 2016. Uh, he is 
averaging 15.1 yards per, per catch, and he, uh, he doesn't fumble the ball. So what are your thoughts about Anthony Miller in Chicago? Yeah, so I think he could uh, – I, I was impressed with – I went back and watched some of his YouTube clips today and um, from his highlights because I don't have access to the L22s. I think, I think he's explosive. I think he can make big plays, and he, he's been consistent his last two seasons. So um, I like him mainly because I know a lot of people are higher on Allen Robinson, but I don't know Allen Robinson is a guy who can't keep his knees healthy in the NFL. So, you know, I think that's asking a lot, and you're banking a lot on somebody who hasn't been very consistent from a health standpoint. So – I think Miller could absolutely uh, rise up and, and, and have a good season. I wouldn't expect a thousand yards or anything like that, but a guy right. that could catch 50, 60 balls, put up 600, 700 yards and a handful of touchdowns in his rookie season. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, they, I don't think the bears would have traded away all, everything they did in order to move up and get Anthony Miller and have him sit on the bench. I think they, they traded away that because they thought he could start pretty much right away. So I think he's going to have at least the opportunity to work with um, Mitchell Trubisky and that offense. All right, let's ring the bell there. That's all the time we have today. Believe it or not, it's all over, guys. All right. So uh, why don't you give us your uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, Ryan, so everyone can follow you. Yep, so follow us on Instagram, football underscore garbage underscore time. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Whitfield NE. My two shout-outs, make sure you check out my boys at All Day Football for the most comprehensive football and fantasy football analysis online. And check out my boys at DraftingSleepers.com, the social network for fantasy sports. And check out all the new articles that, uh, that Ryan are coming out with, talking about the AFC East. They are fantastic, great reads about the draft and how those teams did. Definitely check those out. Those are all Two of those are up on the website. Two more coming. Keep an eye out for those. Those are really terrific. And c- check back next week for episode 102. We're going to have those special guests, as I said, at the beginning of the Yes, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned we're going to have Chris Hopper from the Beer Fueled Fantasy Football Podcast and Matt Hicks from the Top to Pod Podcast, both of which will be answering your fantasy football questions and all of our fantasy football questions. So get them out to us, and we'll go ahead and make sure they get answered. And until next time, enjoy your NFL week.